Good morning, family. It is wonderful to be with you again this morning. Uh, we are going to go ahead and dive right into our Bible study, our time in the Word today. Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 13. We're going to be hitting a big chunk of it today, verses 1 through 27. Uh, and the sermon today is called The End of the Age, The End of the Age. So let's go ahead and pray. And we'll get right into it because it's going to be pretty exciting talking about the end of the world and stuff. So let's pray. Father, we come to you. We're thankful for your mercy and your grace in our lives. Your mercies truly are new every day. And as we follow you, uh, Lord, it's so vital that we feed on your faithfulness and on your word. Uh, Lord, you have given us so much to chew on. Uh, and, and so much reason to put our hope and our faith securely in you, uh, to turn away from everything else this world has to offer, and to turn instead to you, uh, to, to dive in and, and, and invest in our relationship with you. Lord, being in your word morning by morning is the food to our soul, and, and believing your word is how we uh, you know, chew on that food and, and, and swallow it and take it down inside us. Lord, we um, need more of you. <clears throat> and we need our relationship with you to grow deeper. And I pray that as we study this, uh, all of that discourse, this uh, sermon on the Mount of Olives, God, that you would show us how faithful, how incredibly faithful you are and how much you want uh, to bless us and, and how valuable our life is here in this world, uh, Lord, that we would sacrifice everything to know you, to serve you, to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's wonderful to study these things. You know, when Jesus came to the world, he loved to answer the questions of his disciples. He uh, delighted when they would bring the, whatever was on their mind to him. He had no problem with it. And uh, it's very interesting that... Um, that he, today the disciples are going to ask him about the end, the end. And, and he didn't hesitate. He had all kind. In fact, this answer that Jesus gives is the longest answer to any question in his entire ministry. He wanted his disciples to know uh, what the end was going to be like, what it was going to, um, what, what they needed to focus on and what... Um, uh, he wanted them to grow in their appreciation of his knowledge, of his sovereignty, and his authority over all things. He wanted them to grow in their trust of him. And, and that's why he would, he would explain the end times so thoroughly, so clearly is because if he, if he knows how all this is going to happen and he holds it all in his hands, then we can surely trust him. And, and he's building that trust. Um, I know a lot of people love to debate, and, and it, it can be, uh, it, it, they can be really interesting conversations when we debate on the timing of these things or the interpretations of these things. Uh, we're going to keep it fairly simple, but I think um, Jesus uh, is going, the, the main thing is that Jesus is going to be encouraging us today that he is in control. He loves to guide and lead our lives, and um, and that's where we're going to kind of focus and land on today. There's going to be a lot of information and interpretation, but um, 
but let's go ahead and dive into it and we'll get into all that. Mark 13 verses 1 through 27, the end of the age. Let's go ahead and and start reading our text here. Verse 1, then they went out of the temple. One of his disciples said to him, then as they went out of the temple, one of his disciples said, teacher, what manner of stones and what buildings are here? So we have here a Jewish man, this disciple, asks a Jewish teacher, Jesus, about the future of the Jewish temple and the Jewish nation as a whole, you, you can infer there. Um, and, and I bring that up because that's the lens that we have to look through when we're looking at this conversation. Uh, this is the context. A Jewish man talking to a Jewish teacher about a Jewish temple which houses the Jewish religion and uh, the Jewish nation as a whole is centered on the worship that took place here at this temple. That's very important that we understand the Jewishness of all this. I am not Jewish, but I have studied the Jewishness of, of the New Testament and the Old Testament uh, for many years now, and it's kind of second nature to me. I almost feel like I understand how they thought and how they felt about things. And this temple was a big deal to them. We'll get to that in just one second. Let's keep reading. The Jew then, excuse me, and Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So Jesus here, he takes this disciple and he, he gives him a mind-blowing answer. You see, it took 63 years to build this version of the temple. Now, do you remember what was happening 63 years ago? Neither do I, because I wasn't even close to being around. Um, that's longer than most people in the entire world at this point in time had been alive. At this point in history, people usually didn't even live longer than 63 years old. So, um, and this isn't the first temple. There was the, the temple that had been built several hundred years earlier or kind of restored by Nehemiah and Ezra and those people uh, after the exile. Before that, there was the uh, Davidic temple that David and Solomon, David provided for and Solomon built. So you have this temple that had been under construction. Uh, it took 63 years to finish, but at this time it had been under construction for maybe 30-ish, 30 or 40 years. Um, and this was Herod who was um, building this temple now, or kind of re, re, refinishing it, making it bigger and grander than it was. And it was truly one of the wonders of the world. It was huge. And this wonder of the world was a constant lifelong fixture in the mind of all the Jews. You know, they would go up there and they would visit and they would just be amazed. And, and this temple was covered with sheets of gold. So as you approached Jerusalem, you'd see this huge, ginormous temple and the sun would shine on it and it would hurt your eyes. They, the Josephus records that, that it was so bright. It was like the sun was shining right uh, out of that temple. It was reflecting that light so clearly. And so this temple was just immovable. It was, it was so important to the mind of the Jews. And Jesus is predicting here that this temple is going to be destroyed, which is basically for the Jew, just like saying the world is going to end, because they cannot imagine really a reality where this temple does not exist. 
it, it, it's so big. The stones are so massive. I mean, stones bigger than, than many houses put together. And Jesus is predicting that it's going to be destroyed. And so the, that immediately in the mind of these Jewish dis- disciples triggers the thought, well, that must be the end of the world. And that is exactly the discussion that Jesus wants to have with his disciples right now. Jesus knows that his time on earth is coming to a close, and he needs to explain to them what's coming and how it's all going to end. And he prompted that disciple to ask that question in his spirit. So he's like, we need to talk about the end of the world, my friends. Um, So this is what happens. Keep on going here. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew came and asked him privately, tell us. When will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? Okay, so there's the couple questions that they bring him. Now, a photographer, a skilled photographer, can focus on on two objects at the same time in one picture. You can kind of frame it in a way where there's something in the foreground or and something in the background, something near and something far, that you, will, you want to draw the eyes of your audience to. And I believe that that's exactly what Jesus is going to do with his answer. It is right now, as this story is being told, it's 32 AD, uh, and he's going to be explaining something that's going to happen in 70 AD. You know, so 38 or so-ish years later. And that's actually the near thing. And then he's also going to be speaking about something else that we'll call the end of the age or the the time of the tribulation, the great tribulation. Uh, And these two events have some similarities for sure, uh, but they actually cannot be the same event. So there are parts that cannot be connected that can't uh, things that did not happen uh, at the, the 70 AD event, which we're going to talk about what that was that will happen at the end of the age event. Again, these two ends seem similar, uh, and they do have similarities, but uh, they are quite different. You know, some scholars believe that all of this prophecy was fulfilled in the 70 AD event, the destruction of the temple that did happen in 70 AD. Others believe it had nothing to do with it. Um, I believe that there is truth in both uh, camps that, that... this prophecy that we're going to read of does uh, point to the event in 70 AD, but also uh, points to a future event because we see uh, some things that have not yet been fulfilled. Um, so I believe both these events are in the same photograph, one in the near, one in the far. And as we have lived through many hundreds of years, you know, 2,000 years since this, uh, we're we're able to see it maybe even a little more clearly than, uh, than at the beginning. Um, uh, so you can see these two events, uh, even in the way that the disciples asked these questions and how it was explained to them. They asked, tell us, when will these things be? So there's one question. And what will be the sign that all things will be fulfilled? And those two different avenues, those two different questions, Jesus is going to answer. When is the 70 AD event? And how are we going to know that the end of the age is also coming? So um, 
the first uh, section that we're going to read about, the first description Jesus is going to give, is going to be about the time before 70 AD, and also about the beginning of the tribulation, that first three and a half years um, of the last seven years before Jesus returns as the king of the world. And I just want to pause and say I am so excited for him to return as the king of the world, because this world needs a king, a righteous king, and Jesus is the only one uh, that can bring righteousness, that can fix all the problems. He is the hope that we cling to, that we look to. So let's see. As G- and Jesus, answering them, began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. All right. Now, I want you to open in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, or, you know, turn, keep, keep your finger where we're at, but also open up to the book of Revelation, chapter 6. Okay, so keep both of these open. Revelation 6 and what we're looking at right now. And we're going to flip back and forth in them. So Jesus says here in Mark, he says, Take heed that no one deceives you. So deception is a big deal. For many will come in my name saying, I I am he and will deceive many. Okay, so in the time leading up to 70 AD, which was the destruction of the temple when Rome came in, we'll talk about that in one second. There are reports that we have that up to 90 separate people came on the scene in in the political world of Israel and claimed to be the Messiah during this 38 years. Uh, The time that uh, you know, Jesus is talking about here is that that 38 years, and he says many people are going to ha- claim to be the answer. They're going to be false messiahs. Okay, so Jesus is clearly saying that that there's going to be a problem, and the problem is that many people are going to claim to have the answer when I've already told you the answer. I've already given myself, provided myself to be the solution for everything you need. There's going to be difficult times, but nobody else has the answer. There is no other religion. There is nothing else people can come up with, no other philosophy that claims, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah, I am the the way. Jesus says, I've already given it to you. I am already the way. And um, these 90 separate people came and said, you know, I am the way. I have figured out a way we can can rebel against Rome. We can figure out uh, a solution. And as Rome was ruling over Israel at this time, Israel hated it. And they thought that that was kind of the the main thing that needed to be fixed in the world, is that they needed to rebel and, and, and break free from the rule, the iron rule of the Roman Empire. So um, what happened in 70 AD is, is the Jews rebelled against Rome. They, they had had enough, and there was all this... Uh, war and stuff, and so they rebelled, and so the Roman Emperor Titus sent the army in with instructions to, you know, uh, just destroy, just just take care of business, right? To put down the rebellion and kick everybody out of Jerusalem. Well, what happened was one of the soldiers lit a fire in the temple, and it burned so hot that all that gold, remember that gold I was telling you that was around the temple on all the sides? it actually started melting and getting, and it melted in between all the rocks. And so there became this mad rush with all the soldiers and everybody, um, after they'd been killing people and everything, they, they ripped the rocks literally one from another 
fulfilling what Jesus said, that every rock would be broken up uh, to get to that gold that was between all the rocks so that they, you know, because they were wanted this gold, they wanted to pillage. And, and uh, so that's what happened in 70 AD. After that time, uh, a vast majority of the Jews were forced out of Israel, had to flee um, over maybe even a million of them were killed at that point. We have just tons of scattering going on. And basically, for the next, you know, 1900 years or so, there was a very, very, very small representation of Jews in the nation of Israel uh, to the uh, to the point where nobody ever thought that there would ever be a nation of Israel again. The, the nation effectively ended at that point, and their memory was, they tried to wipe out the memory of the Jewish nation uh, at that point. So, up until 70 AD, this was fulfilled. Jesus says, Take heed, no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he and will deceive many. But also, fast forward, there's a second event that this foreshadows and points to. And that's in Revelation chapter 6, and it's the first seal that, that Jesus opens. So in Revelation chapter 6 through 19, it describes the seven-year period. And it starts with, we'll start on this side, seven seals. And, uh, and these seals are, take place at the beginning of that period. And, um, and so the very first thing we see happening in the tribulation, the last seven years of history before Jesus returns, is uh, right here, this first seal, verse 1 of chapter 6. When I saw the Lamb open one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. All right? So that is a description of the Antichrist. He's a guy who's given a white horse. It seems like he's coming in peace. He comes with all these peaceful ideas, but he's actually going out conquering and, and, and taking control and uh, he's coming as he pr is presenting himself as the answer, but it's all a deception. Everything the Antichrist does is a big deception. So we see that also fulfills exactly what Jesus said right here. Take heed that no one deceives you. The Antichrist is going to bring a deception. For many will come in my name saying, I am he and will deceive many. So if you're around, now I believe the church is, is taken out, but if you're around, you're probably uh, going to see the Antichrist. If you're around during the tribulation, you're going to see the Antichrist come on the scene, and it's going to seem like he has all the answers. That's the deception, that he is the Messiah. He's not going to actually talk about religion, I don't think, very much, at the beginning anyway. He is going to say, I have the answer. And, uh, and he will deceive, it says, many. Very, very interesting. Uh, Jesus tell, is telling the Jews that many will come, and especially this last guy, this last Antichrist, will come, and he will deceive, saying that he is the answer. Now, again, our context is this is a Jewish conversation. So it seems like Jesus skipped over all of the time of the church. You have 70 AD, you know, the Jews kind of, 
lived in their homeland until 70 AD. The church was already kind of flourishing by that point. But at 70 AD, the Jews are scattered. And then you have a time period where the church is going on through the world, and it's going to keep going on until the rapture. And so, again, Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience. So from their perspective, they wouldn't care, and they're not going to see it. And if you could imagine... Imagine a, a hill like this, okay, and the perspective being right here. This is where Jesus and the disciples are, and they're following my shirt line up here and up here, and this is what he's talking about. This is the end of the age, right up here, and and they're seeing a straight line right here, okay? Now, as they're going up this straight line, they don't see that there's this dip here called the church and all the stuff that happens under here. From their perspective, they just have right here and up here, this event of 70 AD, which happens with the nation of Israel, and then the next event is going to be the uh, Antichrist coming. That time that, that separates that, we have the church in, but we're not going to talk about that right now because our specific topics are the event in 70 AD and the event way up here at the end of the age. All right, so the next uh, phrase that Jesus says is, but when you hear of wars and rumors of wars... Do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For a nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So this definitely happened in 70 AD, but also, again, in Revelation 6. And he says that the end is not yet. That means that this is the beginning of something, but it's not the end yet. These are what's called the beginning of sorrows that we're going to see Jesus calls it, the beginning of of sorrows, kind of like when a woman begins having uh, labor pains. This is the start of the end. And so we flip on over to Revelation chapter 6 and we see the second seal. And imagine what that's going to hold. When you open the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come and see. And another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. Look at that. These things are lining up perfectly. It's almost like Jesus wanted us to, to see this and see the parallel of his description. And it's even more clear when we read the Matthew 24 version, but we're in the Mark version right now. And, the, uh, and what he gives us in the book of Revelation. So we have wars and rumors of wars. Jesus just talked about it. We saw it in the book of Revelation. Now it says, his next phrase is, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines. We, flick, we flip on over back to Revelation, and let's look at the third seal. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the living creature say, come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and the wine. So we see famine. Before 70 AD, there was definitely famine in the land. And here we also see famine in the book of Revelation at the uh, end of the age. And then Jesus' last phrase, he says, and troubles. And, you know, you could, you could make a parallel of that to the last of the four horses in Revelation, which is the death horse. And you can read that one. Also, he brings a lot of trouble and death to the world, killing a great portion of the world. Then Jesus says, these four things, these things are the beginnings of sorrows. 
in, in Mark right here, he says, these are the beginnings of sorrow. So I believe that this is the beginning of the tribulation. Jesus' description of the first three and a half years of the tribulation is going to be bound up and described by those four things. There's going to be the Antichrist and his rise to power. There's going to be war, much war. It's funny, the Antichrist says he's coming to bring peace, but the reality, the fruit of what he actually brings is tons of war. Then we see famine and earthquakes and trouble and death, and it's just a bad deal. And that's the first three and a half weeks. Or, excuse me, three and a half years. I said weeks because we're going to talk about something in a moment here. Again, this is the last seven years, this tribulation time before Jesus returns as king. Um, and, and that's important because of Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9, we have something called the 70 weeks prophecy. And where God gave Daniel some information. And, and um, we are, we are going to have to talk briefly about it because Jesus is going to reference it here in just a moment as he continues talking. And this is how we know what Jesus is talking about is the time of the end. Okay, it can't be 70 AD because it's, it's got to be uh, directly connected to the time of the end. So in that 70 weeks prophecy, God comes to Daniel and he said, guess what, Daniel? 70 weeks or 70 periods of seven years are determined for your people, the Jews. And he says, from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, and that happened in 445 BC, we know the actual day. He says, when that command happened from King Artaxerxes, when it happens, you can start counting and count 483 years or 69 periods of seven years. And... At the end of that period, Jesus or the Messiah would come. And guess what? That's the time that we're at right now in our story. Jesus came on the very day uh, that that period of, of 483 years ended. It was the day that Jesus walked in or rode into Jerusalem on the donkey proclaiming to be the Messiah. And, and that happened two or three days ago in our uh, context from the book of Mark. And that's what Jesus is talking about. So for, so. For 483 of these years have passed that, that God prophesied to Daniel. Now, God told Daniel at the end of the 490 years, so there's seven years left, there's seven years missing. We're going to see that seven years is the seven-year tribulation, okay? But at the end of all these 490 years, the Messiah would come and would rule as king over in the world. Pretty amazing, right, that God would give Daniel, that kind of prophecy, that kind of clarity. We have some exact time and date. But those, the, when Jesus was crucified, when, when Jesus was rejected and, and then resurrected and then ascended up to heaven, that stopwatch stopped. Because instead of working with the Jewish people primarily, he is working with the church, all the Gentiles and all the Jews who entered into the church and it became the bride of Christ. But there's still seven years that God has promised and dedicated to work with the nation of Israel. And those seven years are going to happen during the seven years of the tribulation. And that is what Jesus is referencing and talking about here. Remember, the Jewish man asked a Jewish teacher about the future of the Jewish nation. And that's what we see going on right here. But Jesus doesn't forget about us. He still gives us teaching. And this is still incredibly valuable to us because this is... Next, this next session, section is going to describe the life of a believer until the end. Okay, what all believers need to know and understand about life 
from the time Jesus is going to go away and be crucified until he comes back. It's not going to change much. There's going to be a lot of these things. So let's look at that. And then we'll get back into that 70 weeks prophecy and, and Daniel's uh, last seven years uh, in just a moment. But let's see what Jesus says here. But watch out for yourselves. Jesus says, here, here's what you guys need to focus on. I'm going to tell you about the end of the world, but you guys, let's talk about how it's going to be for you. Watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake. So these are believers and for a testimony to them and for, and the gospel must, that's the good news of Jesus being, must be preached, first preached to all the nations. That's what the church does, right? But when they arrest you and deliver you up, don't worry beforehand or premeditate on what you will speak. For whatever, but whatever is given to you in that hour, speak that. For it is not what you, it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now, brother will betray brother to death, and and a father his children, and children will rise up against parents for and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. So this section is a description of the life of believers until Jesus comes back. And here's the things he mentions. Persecution. That's going to be a constant reality in our lives until Jesus comes back. Mission work is also going to be a constant reality. We're constantly going to be on mission. Persecuted, but on mission. Then there's going to be more persecution. How about that? Jesus doesn't want us to miss it. Then there's going to be Holy Spirit-inspired words and actions. Jesus is promising what will later be fulfilled starting in Acts chapter 1, that the Holy Spirit's going to come, and the Holy Spirit's going to provide us words and love and power to do incredible things. There will be Spirit-led ministry all over the place, but there will also be division, even among families, for the sake of Jesus. And then he says, specifically, you will be hated by all, but there will be enduring to the end, and there will be people being saved. You will be saved. And all of that combined together is kind of a big old bowl soup of what we can expect in our lives until Jesus comes back. Persecution, mercy, uh, mission work, more persecution, spirit-led ministry, and life and division. Difficult times, but also wonderful power through the Holy Spirit to do his will. All right, now Jesus gets uh, to the time of the, the, the back into our discussion of the end times. And he says, so when you see the abomination of desolation, okay, he's taken a parenthesis out, talk to the church and talk to everybody who's going to get saved during this time and what, what life is going to generally be about, persecution and, and serving the Lord and mission work. But he says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by, the, by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, and then there's this parenthesis that says, let the reader understand. So we are the reader. We need to understand. This verse 14, it introduces one of the most cryptic and, and sometimes difficult phrases in the Bible, the abomination of of desolation. And this this phrase occurs three times in the book of Daniel. So Jesus is saying, if you're smart, you're going to go back and read the book of Daniel. So we would stop and we'd pause it. Now I'm going to, I'm going to read to you the three times that Daniel mentions this phrase. He says in Daniel 9, 27, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week and for half of that week 
uh, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Sounds complicated. We'll get into it in one second. In chapter 11, verse 31, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. And then in chapter 12, verse 11, And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1290 days, which is exactly three and a half years. The, in the book of Mark, we are told, let the reader understand. Okay, Some people say that this abomination of desolation happened and was fulfilled in 70 AD when they destroyed the temple, when Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was destroyed. Remember we talked about that? And, and that this ties in what he's talking about now with that destruction of that temple. But to do that, you have to spiritualize everything that's going to come up next, which is verses 19 through 27, which says Jesus would return in his glory right after, 1290 days after, the abomination of desolation. So if the abomination of desolation happened in 70 AD, then three and a half years later, 72 and a half or 73 and a half AD, we should have seen Jesus return. But he didn't. Very clearly, he did not. And so you have to, if you're not going to believe that this is practically, literally going to be fulfilled in the time of the tribulation, you're stuck with spiritualizing everything else, everything from the book of Revelation and everything that Jesus is going to talk about here. You have to say it means something other than what it says. And I don't think we can do that. We must believe that this is an actual event that is going to take place. This event is going to take place in the exact middle of the tribulation, three and a half years into it. 1,290 days into it. Uh, the first three and a half years, again, is filled with earthquake, famine, Antichrist rising to power, and lots of death. In the middle, the Antichrist is going to enter the temple, as we just read in the book of uh, Daniel, and he is going to demand to be worshipped as God, and he's going to, there's going to be a temple. I mean, just that is, is, is also crazy, because there's no temple right now. But something will happen. And I believe that when the Antichrist rises to power, part of the peace treaty he makes with Israel and the rest of the world is that he's going to allow them to build their temple. So they're going to reinstitute that temple. They're going to start doing sacrifices again. Again, uh, that's just what looks like is going to happen. There's a, if you go right now to the nation of Israel, to the city of Jerusalem, you can go to the Temple Institute where some of the Jews are getting ready for the day when they can build the temple. Now, this is crazy because a vast majority of the Jews today are secular, and they don't care if there's a temple or not. But there is going to be a movement, a transformation among the Jewish people where there will be a temple built and there will be sacrifices. There will be a portion that will be seeking God and seeking God's help. Albeit they're not seeking him the right way, they're not going to see that they're not going to be accepting Jesus as the Messiah yet. But the day will come because Jesus says at the end of the seven years they will see Jesus coming and they'll see the wounds in his hands and in his feet and they'll say, "Where did you get those wounds?" And Jesus will say, "I got these wounds in the house of my friends," and they will repent and believe and be saved. In Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses three through four, it says, "Let no one deceive you." 
by any means, for that day will not come, this second coming of Christ, unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, that son of perdition who ex- opposes and exalts himself above, above all that is called God or that is worshipped, and so that he sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. And I believe that is specifically referencing this event where the, the Antichrist will sit in the temple demand to be worshipped as God, and all the Jews will flee at that point, and that will begin the second half of the tribulation, where the Antichrist will be persecuting the Jews specifically, and he will be trying to kill every Jew. You see, because the Antichrist gets possessed by the devil, and the devil hates the Jewish people. We see that as the satanically inspired uh, Hitler came upon the scene, the satanically inspired uh, Arabs that want to destroy the Jews. It's always satanically inspired. Why is that? Because God has made promises to the Jewish nation. And if Satan is somehow able to destroy and kill every Jew in the world, then he can call God a liar. He can say, you did not fulfill your promise to the Jewish nation. And he basically wins. If he makes God's promises untrue, then he would win, basically. So that's been part of the satanic plan, has been to destroy the Jewish people. Still happening today. How many times has Israel been destroyed, or people have attempted to destroy Israel? Three times there's been unprovoked attacks on the nation of Israel just since 1948. We're going to see that that's going to, they're going to try again. And the Antichrist is going to put all of his might and effort into that uh, during this last three and a half years. Again, where is the church during this event? It's in heaven. So who needs to be concerned about this uh, time period? The Jews do, which is who Jesus is talking to, his Jewish disciples. And uh, this seven years is all about Israel. People say, well, why during, this, the, during the tribulation is God, you know, does, why would God take the church out of it? Well, because it's not about the church anymore. The time of the church ends at the rapture. Everything else, this is now back to Israel time, where God is working with that people and wants to restore and and have reconciliation with the Jewish people. And that's what this last seven years is about. God told Daniel these 70 years, uh, the excuse me, these 70 periods of 70 years, or these 490 years, is about your people and your holy city, the Jewish people and the capital city of Jerusalem. Wow, we were rocking and rolling here. We got just a little bit more to go. So hang on with me. We're, we're going as fast as we can. And I hope you're you're not uh, like a, like a trying to drink out of a fire hose here, but it's gonna, it's pretty exciting stuff. All right, so he goes on. He says, "Then let those who are in Judea flee flee to the mountains." That's interesting, right? Because we're talking about Israel again. This is the time of Jacob's trouble, the time of the last seven years of God working with the Jewish people. Let him who is in the housetop not go down into the house, nor take anything out of the house, and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days and pray that your flight may not be in winter. So when the Antichrist goes in and he declares himself to be God, Jesus is saying, get out of Dodge. Get out of there. Don't even take time to get a coat. And it's a bummer for you if you have babies because you're going to need to run fast and your babies are going to be hungry. So you can't stop to feed them. And it's going to be a big deal. Matthew adds, pray that it's not on the Sabbath. You know, why would I care if it's on the Sabbath? Why would someone in the church... We can drive and walk on the Sabbath, but Jews Jews care about the Sabbath still today. I've been there on Saturday. Everything shuts down. And so I think probably this event of 
the Antichrist going into the temple and declaring himself to God. It'll probably happen on a Saturday, and Jesus is saying, that's a bummer because you guys are going to have to get out of there real quick. So the whole world is going to see this. And then, um, you know, this world has already been through three and a half years at this point of terrible judgment, but it's about to get a whole lot worse after this event. And we can, we'll study that through the book of Revelation with, you know, demonic locust, stingy scorpion things and all kinds of stuff going on during this last three and a half years. That's even worse. This is how Jesus describes it. For in those days, okay, the days of this abomination of desolation, so this can't be 70 AD. In those days, there will be tribulation such as not been since the beginning of creation, which God uh, created until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord has shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, though whom he chose, he shortens those days. The last three and a half years are going to be this terrible tribulation, and God has shortened it to this three and a half years. Uh, we, I've kind of looked at the math, and, and right now it looks like over about over 4 billion people are going to die during the tribulation. Maybe more, maybe less, and it's just the rough numbers that the book of Revelation gives us. That's a big tribulation. That is the worst that it ever can go through. It, it, you got to realize, there hasn't been 4 billion people on the earth, you know, since about 20 years ago. And we're saying that this tribulation is going to take the lives of over 4 billion people. That's some great tribulation. Then he said, then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, he is there, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed and see, I have told you all things beforehand. We know that during the tribulation, the, the Antichrist is going to have this little lackey that follows him called the false prophet, and he's going to do all these signs and wonders. And Jesus is probably referencing that in the, in the time of the end. Uh, people are going to be looking for an answer. Even in 70 AD, people were looking for an answer. Uh, and all during the tribulation, people will be looking for an answer, but the only answer is Jesus. People... People are going to be dying by the millions and the billions during the tribulation. People will be looking for an answer, but Jesus is the only answer. And he will come 1,290 days after this event of the abomination of desolation. He gives us the time. He says, see, I told you beforehand, do not think that I'm going to shorten it any more than I have. It's 1,290 days Endure to the end and you will be saved. We know the day that Jesus' second coming takes place, which also, by the way, for you students of prophecy, means it cannot be the same event as the rapture because we do not know the day of the rapture. The rapture is an imminent event that will happen at any moment. To be watching and waiting is what we're supposed to do. This event, we know the day. We know it's going to happen. You can set your clock by it. So it's not the rapture. He says, but in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. He's quoting from Joel there, talking about the end of time. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels to gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest parts uh, of the earth to the farthest parts of heaven. So he says, this event happens, this second coming of Christ, in those days. That is not in 70 AD, but it's in the days of the real Antichrist. 
Uh, and again, Jesus quotes a portion of Joel that prophesied and Revelation records this event being the second coming of Jesus. Revelation quotes the same, same stuff in Joel. This is the end. When Jesus comes back and then rules this earth, fixes everything, makes everything right, and for a thousand years we have the rule of Jesus Christ on this earth. Who is he gathering? He's gathering all the Jewish people together. His elect that he has chosen. The church was already gathered seven years before this. We have already been in heaven, given glorified bodies, had our, our uh, Bema reward seat ceremony, and now we return with him as his, uh, as his government, basically. We will rule and reign with Christ over these people who survive and are protected through the tribulation, the Jewish nation. Uh, so God goes back to uh, protecting them, and he, he restarts the world and rules over them, the Jewish nation, and anyone who was favorable to the Jewish nation and accepted Christ during that time and did not take the mark of the beast uh, during that time. They allowed to go into the tribulation. This is the time of the end. Jesus didn't give us all this information so that we would know when all these things would happen. But he gives us all this information so that we would choose our team now. So that's the question you have set before you today. Whoever you are listening to this, what team will you choose? You can have any reason you want to not choose Christ. But he offers you forgiveness. He offers you his life and love. And he offers you so much. I implore you to choose him. He says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to choose me or to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. We are in this world. This, these events have not yet happened. We have time. I don't know how much time before the rapture, but we have time. What are we going to do? My exhortation to you today is to choose Christ. Choose him today. Desi if you desire to choose him, then go after him. Follow him. Pick up your cross. That means die to yourself. All the plans that you had for this life, for this year, we've all had to change our plans this year. 2020 has been a complete and utter nightmare. But it's nothing compared to what is coming. We still have time. We can preach the everlasting gospel to every creature, everyone that we meet, everyone Tell them what Jesus has done for them, that there is time to repent of our sin and to turn and accept the salvation that Jesus Christ offers. He says, if anyone would confess their sins to me, I am faithful and just to forgive their sins and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. That's what Jesus offers us today. That's the everlasting gospel. Go out and preach that to this world. Uh, that's our encouragement, our application from all that we've learned today. There's going to be some more teaching. We're going to dive deeper into the, the end times discussion next week. So I'm really excited about that. But God bless you guys. Uh, pray that God counts, uh, pray that God fills us with boldness and power to preach his gospel. Holy Spirit power. Father, I pray that right now everyone who's hearing the sound of my voice would fully give their lives to you, pick up their cross, choose to follow you, turn away from every distraction to the truth of the gospel and what the gospel is, is uh, 
says and offers not only to us, but to everyone in the world. Make us witnesses, Father. Thank you for the persecution that's coming. Thank you that you promise to be make us strong and be with us in every persecution. Thank you for making us like you, giving us your spirit, your heart, and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.